everybody, welcome to the X Report. I am Reverend X, and alongside me, as always, is Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka somebody who has introduced a duo that I never thought I needed, John Morant and Lena Fournette. How you doing today, man? I'm good. How you doing? I'm doing all right. Happy to be recording because this is probably the least stressful thing I do every week. But we got a cool show for you guys today. We are going to talk the trade market for Patriots wide receiver Nikhil Harry and which team, if any, should make a move to go after him. With regards to the NBA, we are going to talk the Cavaliers' plan to trade up to the first overall pick um, and see if they will be able to do that, as well as, of course, talk of the Rachel Nichols ESPN drama. And we're going to close out the show talking about the NBA Finals and add a superstar to the remaining Finals teams to help better their championship chances. But before we get to any of that, please be sure to check out theexreport.net. I repeat, theexreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow expert writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. So without further ado, let's talk NFL. And I don't know about what it has been about this offseason, but it's been quite a few players not just in the NFL, but like NBA as well, who've been getting in trouble with the law. And the latest and possibly biggest name player is defensive end Frank Clark, who this week was charged with felony possession of an assault weapon after cops found an Uzi in his Lamborghini SUV back in June. Now, if he was to be convicted, he would face three years in prison. So if you are the Kansas City Chiefs, he's one of your best defensive players. What do you think the Chiefs should do about this situation? just because you don't really know. And I hate to say it, but like of the things he could be charged with, this is one of the tamer things you could get in trouble for with regards to other stuff that people have been getting in trouble for. And also, let's be honest, with the Chiefs, they have let a lot of stuff slide. I mean, Frank Clark didn't necessarily come into the league with the cleanest track record. I mean, he was accused of domestic violence while he was at Michigan. I think he'd also gotten released from the team. Um, and he hasn't had any issues, or at least with regards to that, since he's been back. But he's not a player who's been had a completely clean slate as is. And I think that if I'm the Chiefs, like you said, I will wait and see. More than likely, I would kind of go into the mindset of I'm probably not going to have him around um, to start the year. And so because of that, I would try to have a backup plan. And so if I was them, I'd be calling Justin Houston. If you ask me, I think that he's probably the best defensive end available right now. And I think that... As we all know, he has a long, extensive history with the Chiefs. So I'll be calling free agents like Justin Houston or others just to make sure that if he can't go, you won't be completely out with anything. But are there any other uh, defensive ends or players you think that they should potentially bring in if Frank Clark can't play? Uh, is Everson Griffin still a free agent? Yeah, he's available. Position 
a position that people really haven't picked up a, a couple of free agents. So I think just run your pick of the litter and figure out which one best fits your scheme and go with that one. Yeah, it sounds about right. All right, speaking of the Chiefs, we got to talk Cheetah, a.k.a. Tyreek Hill, who, as we all know, or if you guys haven't seen the video, recently raced uh, running back for the Packers, uh, Aaron Jones, and destroyed him. Following the release of that video, DK Metcalf tweeted at Tyreek Hill saying, get at me next offseason. So I don't like that we would have to wait a year to see it, but do you think that DK has a chance to beat Tyreek Hill in a race? Um, no. It's been a very foregone conclusion that Tyreek Hill is probably the fastest player in the NFL. DK Metcalf is probably in the conversation as one of the fastest, like top 10, top 15 fastest. But especially given for his size, this will make it more um, oh, oh, unbelievable speed. But I got you good Yeah, I do too. I think that. I think the time is now because, like, everybody can say, oh, I got you next year, but next year comes. Who's really going to remember? I don't think that this is going to be something that people are going to have as much of a priority on. And I think if DK is as bad as everybody makes him out to be, I think he will race him this offseason. Don't don't push it back. Just do it. But, yeah, no, I got I got cheat. I think DK makes it a bit interesting, but in the end, I got Tyreek Hill. All right, speaking of wide receivers – Nikhil Harry, Patriots wide receiver, who wasn't even a guarantee to make the roster this year, um, announced earlier this week that he would like to be traded from the Patriots. His um, agent released a statement that said, through two seasons, he has 86 targets, which obviously hasn't met the expectation the Patriots and Nikhil had when they drafted a dominant downfield Threat. Yes, dominant is the word they chose to use. An anonymous league executive estimates that the Patriots would maybe get a conditional six-round pick for Nikhil Harry. Um, Harry apparently would prefer to be a part of an offense where his size and strength in the red zone could be better utilized. So, Ethan, who do you think trades for Nikhil Harry and what will it cost to get him? numbers right now and since he's been drafted he's played 14 games had 81 targets 45 catches only four touchdowns I think that what what hurts Nikhil Harry in this situation is it's not like he was a guarantee to make the Patriots roster anyway and so I think that if I'm a team on who might be interested I don't think I would make a trade for him 
Mainly because, like I said, it's no guarantee he's going to be on the roster. He's already unhappy. So I think in a more realistic sense, you could probably get him for nothing um, in terms of, like, a draft pick. You could probably even get him via trade. So I think that – I mean, not trade, but in free agency just because I could see the Patriots cutting him. Um, but if there was to be a trade that took place, I think that the Raiders would be a nice fit. Reason being, they need a wideout who has some size. They have speed with regards to uh, Willie Sneed, Henry Ruggs, of course, who they got, and John Brown, who are all downfield threats, but they really lack a red zone option outside of Darren Waller. And while you still have things to work on with Nikhil Harry in order to make him a valuable player I think that at the very least you could use him as a bigger body because he's like I say he's taller than other receivers you have Brian Edwards really hasn't kind of panned out the way that you want him to and Nikhil Harry is a bigger and stronger body so I think that the Raiders will be a solid fit and I feel like maybe a six probably even a seven if you had to make a trade for him but speaking of a player who back a few years ago was almost traded but eventually released by this team. It seems like Richard Sherman is open to a reunion with Seattle. It seems that he wants to stay on the West Coast, wants to stay by his family, and Seattle seems like a team that would be the best fit. So should the Seahawks make that move and bring him back? I think they should because after they lost Shaquille Griffin, they already had a poor second year as far as corners go. And now they lost the best corner. I think it's a move that you can use. He won't be the Richard Sherman of old, but it might be one of those things where he gets like a resurgence of going back to an old familiar place. And we both know that Pete Carroll knows how to properly use Richard Sherman anyway. And um, he could be one of those guys that could help coach up those younger DBs. Like we know that Jamal Adams is amazing. But um, Richard Sherman is a guy that has a lot of miles and a lot of downs and a lot of games played he could be like a secondary coach to the um to that secondary simply because of his experience. So I wouldn't mind seeing I think I would agree. I think that it would be a good move for the Seattle. Like I say, you're not getting a Richard Sherman of old in the days of the Legion of Boom, but what you are getting is a player's coach. You're getting a player who you know that can step on the field and at least be able to help out the younger guys, like you said. Plus, he has familiarity with that system. I mean, as of right now, the Seahawks secondary needs bodies. I mean, Shaq Griffin wasn't amazing, but he was the best that they had. They brought in Akella Witherspoon from the 49ers. So when he's healthy, he's been solid, but you have to question his health. They have Trey Flowers there and other guys who really have not stepped up. So I think that having Richard Sherman there, even if he isn't going to be given number one corner responsibilities, I think that at the very least, it helps you out. And I think that it provides valuable veteran experience that you did not have beforehand. But speaking of valuable veteran experience, it doesn't get more valuable than Larry Legend, who um, in a conversation during Capital One's The Match uh, with Baker Mayfield joked about uh, potentially joining the Browns and said, I couldn't even make the top seven receivers over there. When asked again about his desire to play, he said he still hasn't decided on anything. So let's say Larry Legend does decide to come back for the year 18. What team would you like to see him suit up with if it was not the Arizona Cardinals? Um, let me think about it. Honestly, I wouldn't mind seeing him suit up for the, the writers. He kind of presents a lot of things that we said about, that you just said about Nikhil here. I don't think he'll be a guy that 
that you can utilize in the red zone because he's a bigger body. He's a smart receiver. He knows how to use his body to position himself to get advantage of the defensive backs. And he's just a guy that can host up all of those young receivers that they have. Like, they have a lot of guys that probably haven't had maybe three to five years in the league. And, like, that's, that's good. It's like Larry Legend. He's, he's a representation of his name. Like, he's a living legend. Why not put him into a young receiving core group? You could potentially use him to help Henry Ruggs develop better. Um, and then just, he is a guy that you could throw out there and he can produce to a, a certain extent. Um, we kind of talked about this a little bit last week, but I would say the Vikings. Reason being, you know you have your young star with Justin Jefferson. Adam Thielen is one of the best slot receivers in the league. And then after that, I mean, you've seen a bit from Olabasi Johnson and other cats on the roster, but you really haven't gotten much production as you would like. So why not bring in a player like Larry Legend, who is dependable, who is coachable, and honestly just makes your offense better. He's somebody who Kirk Cousins will also be able to trust, as well as help make Justin Jefferson even better than he already is. We talked about his ties to Minnesota, how he used to be a ball boy there, grew up there, has a lot of familiarity with that team. Not to mention former teammate Patrick Peterson, who he went up against in practices for over a decade, is there as well. So I think that that would be an easy transition for him. He wouldn't be asked to do too, too much. He would just be able to be there and be on a team that looks to be on the up and up. So if I was Minnesota, he said he didn't retire. I would definitely try to make that call. But all right, let's play a game of believable or buffoonery. And now that I think about it, this has been a pretty heavy wide receiver show. But we got to talk about arguably the greatest wide receiver of all time, Jerry Rice, who had bold words to say about this present generation of the NFL. He said, first of all, the game really favors the wide receiver now because you can't put your hands on them. Linebackers can't take shots at you coming across the middle anymore. It's kind of hard because it's hypothetical. I probably might be able to, like, double everything. So essentially saying he would double his production from what he had during his playing days, which, as just a friendly reminder, he had 1,549 receptions, 22,895 yards, and 197 touchdowns. Needless to say, Jerry Rice was the man when he played Ethan, in your believable or buffoonery, Jerry Rice would be even better if he played in today's NFL. Um, I think it's a little bit of buffoonery simply because I don't know if Jerry Rice athletically would be able to dominate the league at this point in time like he did when he originally played. Like, we know when he played, he was one of the great athletes in that era during the NFL. And the reality is, is like, unless he's able to, like, turn his athleticism up to another notch, I think that the reality is, like, with the way that these guys are bigger, stronger, faster, I can see Jared White being just a, a normal, regular, regular slot receiver in today's NFL because it's like, yes, you can't touch and you can't hit receivers, but the DBs are freakish athletes. The receivers are freakish athletes. I don't know Jerry Rice, his athleticism will hold up in today's NFL. I, I'm not going to say, I, I'm going to go on the other side of that coin. I say I think it's a little bit believable just because what made Jerry Rice also a great receiver, not only was his athleticism, but was his 
his mind, how he was able to pick apart a defense even before the ball was hyped, and how he was able to find opportunities to get open. And he also had tremendous hands, which for any great wide receiver, you have to have that. And I think that with the opportunity to go up against defenses who may be more skilled than they were in the past, but they're less physical. Just not because by choice, but they have to be. They can't be just so they don't get um, a whole bunch of penalties. And so I think that with that mindset, and especially with the knowledge that he had from playing more physical defensive line, defensive backs, I think that that would also help him to be better. I don't think he doubled his stats or anything, but I do think that he would still be a tremendous wide receiver. And I think that he would, I think he would put up better numbers. Not the crazy, insane, almost 20 years in the league number. I don't think he'd be able to last that long, but I do think that he will still be one of the best receivers in the league. All right, let's talk Anthony Lynn, former head coach of the Chargers and signed on to be the offensive coordinator for the Detroit Lions. Now, they weren't the only team that was interested in him. In fact, the Seattle Seahawks wanted a piece of him too. But he said that he chose the Lions because he felt that the Lions are building something special. So, believable or buffoonery, the Lions have a brighter future than the Seattle Seahawks. Um, no, this is buffoonery simply because, like, the Seahawks are currently still a better constructed team overall, but I feel like they have pieces in place that, like, let's say potentially they were to lose Russell, Russell Wilson. We know that Russell Wilson right now is currently Mr. Seattle. He's the biggest thing. In the city of Seattle, super and Brianna and um, but I think if they have pieces outside of Bruce, like they have Chris Carson, yes, he has issues being healthy, but when he is healthy, he's a top fifteen, lower to top fifteen back in the NFL when healthy. They just drafted the freaky, the freakiest athlete in DK Metcalf, and he's already shown that he's one of the better wide receivers in the game. They still have Tyler Lockett, like they still have Bobby Wagner. He's showing, he's not showing that many signs of slowing down. So I think that like you can still, they still have a window for maybe another three to four years to where they could be like a viable option to make the playoffs and potentially sneak in and make a Super Bowl, so I definitely say it's believable. I think the Seahawks have the brighter candidate future and like long-term future as far as the way it looks. Yeah, I'm also saying this buffoonery that the Lions have a brighter future, mainly because there is really no direction with the Lions right now. Like, everybody on their roster, real talk, is disposable besides probably Taylor Decker and Panay Suell and Frank Ragnow. I feel like depending on how this year goes, like, if they somehow go 0-17 or lose majority of their games, like, if they get more than four wins, that would be considered a win for this team just because you don't really know what their direction is. They're kind of just floating in the wind. And I think that it's going to take some time before they're really able to put expectations on themselves. We don't really know what Jared Goff's future is. Is he really going to be the quarterback of the future? So many of their young cats who they brought in, for example, Jeff Okuda, he has to have a big year after disappointing his rookie year. Their defense is still a bit in shambles. So it's so many different parts of the Lions that don't have a direction, whereas the Seahawks do. Because I feel like, like you said, even if Russ was to leave, I think that they still have pieces in place that can still make them a 
contending team. I think that especially if they're able to re-sign Jamal Adams, keep him in the fold, that would be a huge thing. Bobby Wagner, I mean, linebackers have played a long time, and he has he's still a top five back it, linebacker in most people's consensus. So I think that they have just better the better overall roster to age well as opposed to the Lions who just haven't really been able to make any commitments to anybody because nobody's really shown that they were worth it. But all right, talking about a player worth the commitment, Darren Waller, tight end for the Raiders, reinvigorated his career after making the switch to the uh, dark hole. So, and he wants to help out other people, specifically Tim Tebow. Um, Raiders tight end Darren Waller has offered to mentor Jaguars tight end hopeful Tim Tebow after Tebow wasn't invited to the first tight end university. So let's say that Darren Waller coaches up Tim Tebow for the offseason. Do you think that that would make Tim Tebow a quality tight end? No. I think the reality is he's a guy that, yes, he played some tight end in high school, but you're playing against the highest level of competition in the world. And it's one of those things where it's like, I don't think you can just take some coaching throughout one offseason and you can become a viable option. I think you have to have been playing in position throughout college, get that training, then you come in as a tight end. Like, I don't think that, I don't think it'll work. I think it'll be a situation where it can help Timo, but I don't think it could be something that can make him a viable option as a tight end. Yeah, I'm calling uh, buffoonery on that too. While it is a nice gesture, I do think that it takes more than just somebody kind of taking you under their wing, especially if you guys aren't on the same team. Because if you guys are on different teams, it's not like he's going to keep flying out to Jacksonville or you to Vegas to try to coach you up. Like, you really only got a little over a month to make that happen. And so you have to do, be able to do a lot of the work on your own, be able to carry your own weight. And with regards to Tim Tebow, we all know that Honestly, this seems more like a publicity stunt rather than like a legitimate roster move. And I just don't think that this is the thing that's going to make it seem more legitimate. But all right, let's talk quarterbacks for the first time this episode. And we're going to talk Matthew Stafford, who last week we talked about the expectations we have for him in his first year with the Rams. But however, it was he was not the only NFC West team that wanted to go after him. The 49ers had their eye on Stafford hard um, per quarter. I mean, head coach Kyle Shanahan said, you don't want to get me started, dude, um, speaking to Sean McVay. That was frustrating. I was actually in Cabo. I was watching it all. I had never studied Stafford that hard. Talked about, I mean, he was the man. He's actually underrated to me. So I know how good of a guy you got. I know how good he is at play action. I know how smart he is. Not only does he have a big arm, but he's got touch. He knows where to go with the ball. So believable or buffoonery, Matthew Stafford would have more success with the 49ers than the Rams. Um, I think it's buffoonery simply because the Rams have a better receiving court. They have Cooper Cup. They have um, Robert Woods. They have um, a decent tight end in Elverson. Not Elverson Griffin, but um, what's his name? Tight end. Oh, um, Tyler Higby. Yeah. Everett, uh, the other tight end went to the Seattle. They have a decent tight end, and it's one of these situations where it's like, as far as the 49ers go, like, they have Debo Samuel. We don't really – and he's more of a short yardage rap kind of guy. Brandon, I, you, you, he was showing flashes, but we don't really know what he can bring to the table. I mean, he got hurt, but I think that we know what the Rams have. They have two 
Yeah, I'm in agreement with you on that one. I think that not just a better receiving core, but I feel like in terms of an overall team, I think that the Rams have a better team. Um, right now, I don't really trust Raheem Mostert in the backfield. I like that they drafted Trey Sermon. I think that that could be a really solid addition. But truthfully, other than that, I would go Rams in terms of I like what Cam Akers has been able to do. That gets me more excited than what Raheem Mostert could do defensively. I would take the Rams defense. I mean, Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey are two of the best players in the league, period, regardless of position. Arguably the best defensive duo in the league. And while we've seen great things from the 49ers defensive line and Fred Warner, their secondary doesn't really spark as much hope. They're not really getting as many turnovers. They can rush the passer when they're healthy, but they still have some things to do. So I think that... For Matthew Stafford, it was the best move to go to the Rams just because I feel like in terms of a team that's ready to win now, I would say they're more so ready than the 49ers. All right, last piece before we move on to the NBA. We got to talk Philly and some quarterback controversy. Dan Orlovsky, former NFL quarterback in his own right, had this to say about Jalen Hurts. He said, if Jalen Hurts plays as well as he can, he can't sniff as good as Carson Wentz is. If Eagles could, if the Eagles could go back right now and redo that decision, I'm 100% convinced that they would not have taken Jalen Hurts. So, believable or buffoonery, the, regret, the Eagles will regret trading Carson Wentz and replacing him with Jalen Hurts. Um, I think there's some. I think there's some belief in that. I think that Jalen Hurts in three shows last season he, in um, Oklahoma when he was the starting quarterback there. He also showed flashes at Alabama, but I don't think that he was ready to be thrown into the fire just yet. As far as being the starting quarterback, I know that Carson Wentz had a really, really bad season. He also had a really bad season in a really bad city to have bad season in. But I think that if they were to get some O-line help and some receiving help and, like, just kind of take Carson Wentz back to the basics of that offense and then, like, this game, I think that they would have, I don't necessarily say, I don't think they would get the MVP form that he had before he got hurt a couple years ago. But I think that they could have really had a solid quarterback. I think that Jalen Hurst is going to show flashes. But he's a young kid that's getting thrown in the fire. And, like, it's kind of a situation where it's like, this could either go really bad or it could go really, or it could go kind of good. So I think they kind of might regret it if it starts to go bad, especially in this city of Philadelphia, who's very passionate about the Eagles. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that it's tough because Carson Wentz in no way, shape, or form had a good year last year. It was a terrible year. And in hindsight, I mean, you understand why they decided to bench him in favor of Jalen Hurts. However, Jalen Hurts was not necessarily ready to be an NFL star. So he was thrown into the fire, and I think that everybody got really excited about that Saints game where he really didn't do too much. It was really the defensive line that got the job done. It also didn't hurt that Drew Brees didn't play. So that's something else worth noting. But I would say that I think that will the Eagles regret it? I think so. Just because I feel like Carson Wentz is going to have a really good year in Indianapolis. And it's, while I think they will regret it, I think you just have to recognize it's a completely different circumstance. Like – 
Indy, if you ask me, has a better receiving core. They have a better offensive line, a better defense. They have a better overall team around Carson Wentz. And so he has no excuse to play badly. Whereas in Philly, it's not as good of a team. So, of course, if you're a quarterback, you're bound to struggle in some instances. Um, So with regards to that, I think it is a bit believable. But I do think that Jalen Hurts, I mean, he has a prime opportunity to have a good year. But I think that he's on a pretty short leash. I feel like if this is another bad year, I can see Philly prioritizing taking a quarterback early on. But all right, let's talk some NBA. Ethan, what are your top three takeaways from this past week of action? Uh, Top three takeaways are, I think that if the Milwaukee Bucks don't, I think I said this last week also, but if the Milwaukee Bucks don't find a way to make adjustments, I think this is going to be a a series that they won't win. I think that they're going to maybe bounce back and win a game or two in Milwaukee. But I still have the Suns. Um, the other thing is the others from Milwaukee have to step up. Giannis Antetokounmpo had a 20-point third quarter in game two, and they only won that quarter by one point. And We've talked about Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, but they, Mike Budenholzer has to figure out a way to where he can get Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, and Giannis all going at the same time. Because when Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday were having their best games in the playoffs, it's when Giannis was hurt. So I don't know what what he's going to have to do, but I think he's going to have to switch up his game and make some things shape as far as that. And um, number one, I think if Phoenix wins, it might be one of the closest races for the finals MVP ever between Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, because both of them have really been balling out. Low-key, I feel like it may be a slight game of politics and Chris Paul would get it. But it will be a tough conversation. It'll be a really tough conversation. All right, let's talk our Mamba players of the week. I mean, from the East, I mean, it can literally only be Giannis, if you ask me. I mean, 20 points in the third quarter, gave all he could while Drew Holiday was literally just wasting $40 million of Milwaukee's dollars. Chris Middleton really didn't step up. And Giannis still dealing with a knee injury, gave all he could. So he's my Mamba out of the East. Yeah, you can go. You can't go with anybody besides yeah, and so out of the West, now this was tough picking between CP3 and Devin Booker, but I think I'm going to give the nod to Devin Booker just because he's really also stepped up. I mean, we kind of talked about the defensive prowess of Drew Holiday last week before the finals got kicked off. And um, we talked about how he would have to be instrumental in trying to shut down either um, CP3 or Devin Booker. And it seems like nobody really has been able to slow down Devin Booker. So he's going to be my Mamba of the week. I'm going to go with the surprise for the West. I'm actually going to go with Mikael Bridges. He put in a very unexpected, but very uh, like needed 27 points in game two. Um, Chris Paul, he had a he had a slow part night. Devin Booker, um, he had a decent night. I think the fact that he made seven threes made up for a lot of a lot of what he um what he did as far as field goal percentage wise. Not a bad pick. I mean, he's really he's really evolved himself. I mean, I don't know if you saw the quote, but um, he was talking about 
a conversation he had with Monty Williams, and he was asking why he wouldn't get more playing time. And Monty told him, you didn't look like you were working hard enough. And so you can tell he's really putting that time in to get more playing time and getting the opportunity to show what he can do. And I think that what better time to do that than the finals? So those are Mambas of the Week. But let's get to some news. And, of course, here at the Expo, we don't just talk about the X's and O's and what's happening on the court and with players. It's always more than that. Because there always seems to be some sort of sports drama. And Rachel Nichols, who literally has not had a problem with anybody up until this week, is our focus. Um, last, The story goes that last year she was told that she was going to be the sideline reporter for the NBA Finals. But the NBA, I mean the NBA, the ESPN changed their mind and instead went with Maria Taylor. And this week a conversation about that decision came out which had Rachel Nichols saying the following. I wish Maria Taylor all the success in the world. She covers football. She covers basketball. If you need to give her more things to do because you are feeling pressure about your crappy long-time record on diversity, which, by the way, I know personally from the female side of it, like, go for it. Just find it somewhere else. You are not going to find it from me taking my thing away. In back response to these comments, Rachel Nichols has been met with some backlash and then some support. It's kind of been up in the air. Uh, ESPN made the decision to remove her from the NBA Finals crew um, and replace her with Malika Andrews, who, if you guys don't know, is another black woman. So, Ethan, what are your thoughts on this whole Rachel Nichols situation? For me personally, I think she's wrong for what she said and what the reality is the message she's wrong for what she said and how she said it but the actuality is the message in which that she said was actually true like we both know that ESPN is a place that isn't very strong with people of color and it's sad because a lot of their major um major personalities and major figures in sports have been of people of color. Currently, Stephen A. Smith, we all know that he's the biggest name attached to ESPN. In years past, he used to be Stuart Scott before he passed. And I think that at one point, it used to be Jamel Hill and Michael. Uh, what was Michael's name? Uh, Michael Smith. Yeah, Michael Smith. And they had a falling out. And I think that the ESPN, they are in this like mode of like, okay, let's try to make sure that we do include people of color and let them be heard and let them be seen because we've had a rocky history. But I think this story that she went about saying was wrong. Like, you didn't have to say it in that matter. And also, it was one of these things where it's like, you know, yes, they took away your, they told you you were going to work the finals and they took it away for. Malika Andrews and like it's one of these situations also where it's like okay it's a lot of situations where I'm pretty sure people of color and people period have been told like they're told by a job that they're going to do something they're going to be given something and then in the end it gets taken away and that doesn't give you the right to say what you said so that's how I feel about it coming from she said it from the female perspective. Coming from the black female perspective in sports journalism, you are already a double minority because everybody and their mama knows that more times than not, if you see a sports anchor or a sports reporter, they are a white male. 
A few times, you'll also see black men, but more times than not, they are former athletes themselves. So, I understand her frustration with that. Because, not, I, I won't even just say ESPN, but in sports journalism in general, like, it's very difficult for women to find an opportunity regardless of their race. It is very difficult because it's always that second guessing of, you're a woman, what do you know about sports? Or you don't know as much as me, or like... As a woman, I, I've been there in many times where I felt like I had to overcompensate my knowledge of sports just to show that I could be in the same room as a man who I know didn't know as much as me. It's just a fact. And so I can understand her frustration of this because, I mean, she, to her credit, she does typically do the NBA. That is usually her beat. She does the jump. She's usually the one whenever there's a feature on sports. She's usually the NBA. So I can understand the frustration for her not having that opportunity. The problem, if she would have just left it at, I wish they hadn't have done that, or if she would have just left it at, you know, ESPN has a problem with diversity. These are This is a fact. This is not something that is a shock to anyone. But the problem comes in that when she put in the uh, your diversity decision and you can get it from somewhere else, but you're not going to get it from me. And it's like, I hate that in all walks of life, it feels like, especially women, we have to like go against each other. It's like no two women can both be on the same level. One has to be higher than the other. And it sounds worse for Rachel because she is a white woman and Maria Taylor is a black woman. And as a black woman, it's going to come across as not only is this a, you want to mark your territory, but you feel like I can't do the same job that you can. And so on the one hand, I feel like I can understand Rachel's frustration just because, I mean, in the NBA and in your job, this is the highest thing you can do is to cover the finals. And so to not do that, I can totally understand why I'd be frustrated, but the way that she said it is what makes it problematic. And I feel bad for Maria, Te Maria Taylor in the sense of she just was told, to, she just did her job. You show up, you get told your assignment, and you do your job. And year, a year later, you're met with this BS. And I can only imagine how frustrating that would have to be. So, like, I'm kind of, I'm torn on it because... While it's not the most offensive thing I've heard anybody say, I think that I can totally see why it's problematic. And I think that ESPN is really just trying to cover their asses by having um, by having Malika Andrews take over for her for the finals just to show, no, we think black women can do it too. And we're going to do the same exact thing that they did to Rachel Nichols last year. Like, it's, I don't know. I, I, I feel mixed reviews about it. But something else that... um. There are mixed reviews about our social media and athletes. If you ask Steve Kerr, he finds that players spend too much time on Twitter going back and forth with fans, particularly Kevin Durant, who he named directly. Kevin Durant um, took umbrage with this and said, I don't see a problem with me interacting with basketball fans. It should be encouraged. He should have also said that I've never been late and I work through every rep in practice with game speed. That should be more interesting than what I do on Twitter. So, Ethan, in your opinion, do you feel like it is a good idea for basketball players or just athletes in general to be engaged with fans on social media? Yes, because this is one of those things where, as a, like, as a fan of a sport, you very rarely can get opportunities to connect with your favorite athletes. And honestly, doing 
trying to play and your players respond, but there's also a lot of times where it's like you can see good interaction between players and fans. So I have no issue with it because I think as a as a fan, like I said, it's one of those very few viable ways to interact with one of your favorite players. And as a player, it can help build your brain. Like it could be one of these things where it's like, okay, you interact with fans, they're gonna go you because it's like, okay, you can you didn't have to do this. You took out the time to like write my tweet or reply my tweet or whatever. So this is my viewpoint on Yeah, and I think that in regards to the positives of building up your brand and getting more fans, I think it's also a way to kind of call out the Twitter trolls. And when I say that, it's like people are going to talk stuff regardless just because it's just, it's just human nature. People do it. But I think that once you check somebody for something that you know for a fact that they could not do your job or do it half as good as you can on your worst day, I think that it really, I think that people need that more because under, with social media, pretty much people are so covered under the veil of anonymity and they can just, they feel like they can just share all their negative thoughts or whatever on social media and like not get responded to it. So while we give Kevin Durant a lot of crap for the stuff he tweets and how he tries to act hard, I mean, some play, some fans do need to be checked. Some fans who say ignorant stuff or racist stuff, whether it be to your face or via social media, should get called out for it. I'm not saying every single time somebody says something bad about you, you have to respond. But if somebody says, oh, they had a bad game, blah, 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 okay, you do it. Because you remember how Cody Parkey, the double doink, and fans were sending him death threats. Everybody was pissed because everybody thought the Bears should have won that game. And so fans got called out on social media, and they were told to do the same thing that Cody Parkey could not do. And what did they do? They all failed. And so in saying that, I think that sometimes you, people just need to be humbled. And so, like you said, for the positives, you get to build up your brand. You're able to build up a bigger um bigger I guess fandom for lack of a better word you're able to meet more people and go from there because I mean that's one of the positive of social media is you're able to meet people you probably would have never met and on the other hand you get to humble some people let them know that you may be talking but you can't do what I do so what is your point but speaking of players who think that there's not many people who can do what they do Spencer Dinwiddie is looking to get a bag this offseason. When asked about his upcoming free agency, he said, if the Nets come to the table aggressive saying, hey, we got a five-year, $125 million deal for you, I will say there's a high likelihood I could go back. But if they come, don't come to the table and they're like, we're going to give you three years, 60 mil, well, anybody can do that. So what Spencer Dinwiddie said he wants to make a good amount of money do you see that happening for him, whether it be the Nets or anybody else? I actually could see it. I think the only the only downside to him having his viewpoint is the fact that he's just coming off of an ACL injury and he didn't play at all this past season. But before he had this injury, Spencer Dinwiddie was showing signs to be one of the breakout candidate type of players in the NBA. So I think that if he can come back and he can return to form or, like, if he can get show team that he's completely fully healthy, I won't be surprised if I see him come back to a bag. It wouldn't shock me at all. Yeah, it wouldn't shock me either, especially... 
considering on the one hand he's saying he wants money he wants that kind of money but then you got on the other corner Dennis Schroeder saying he wants that kind of money and if you ask me I'm more likely to give Spencer Dinwiddie that kind of money than Dennis Schroeder and like you said I mean he had been playing very well prior to getting hurt I mean last year had the best year of his career had tw averaged 20.6 points per game and really had just been evolving every year since then and I think that with so many teams needy for point guards or trying to find that next great player, I think that Spencer Dinwiddie is a very intriguing prospect for a lot of teams. So I could see him getting that bag. But in your opinion, if you had to give that money to Spencer Dinwiddie or Dennis Schroeder, who would you pay? Damn, Spencer Dinwiddie is healthy, and he's showing no signs of uh, the injury affecting him. I'm guessing giving it to Spencer Dinwiddie. Yeah, because um, apparently he's been cleared because one of the – I think he sent out a tweet that was like the best free agent point guard is cleared to go, something like that. And they were saying even if the Nets would have made the finals, he would have been able to play. So it seems like he is healthy. I mean, you'll never really know until you get him in a game situation. But as of right now, it does sound like he's healthy. But talking about teams who are bound to make free agent moves, the Los Angeles Lakers, of course – and losing Spencer Dinwiddie probably are going to be making some moves. One move that they are rumored to be interested in is bringing in DeMar DeRozan in a situation that could possibly be a sign and trade, which would be considered very doable. So, do you think that DeMar DeRozan would fit with the current Lakers? Um, I do. I think that he could provide an element that they didn't have in being that he could be a guy for himself and create offense for each other. For others, I'm sorry. Like, we know that the Lakers, their whole offense kind of was predicated on LeBron making plays for himself and others in AD making plays for himself. But, and so I didn't want a bunch of shooters, but DeMar DeRozan is a guy that he can, he's a shot creator, he can make his own shots, he can take, he can get to his spots and make his own season. But he also, in these past couple of seasons, he was a guy that was creating shots for others. He led the Spurs in the six. He was having his highest assist totals throughout the course of his career. So I think it could be a good move just because it's like, yes, he's not the three-point shooter that you typically would look for to add with LeBron, with LeBron James. But if you go back to Miami, neither was Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade wasn't a shooter. He was a guy that can create for himself and create for others. So you can have two guys that can touch the basket plus AD. You can do basically anything that you want. This feel out that roster with guys that are capable shooters, and I think it can work. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I mean, while DeMar DeRozan is one of those cats who really does not get the attention he deserves, like you mentioned, I mean, he's really evolved his game while his time in San Antonio led the team in assists as a three. And that's something that, of course, you typically think point guards are the ones to do it. Or you have unicorns like LeBron who do it. So, with regards to that, I do think that DeMar DeRozan will be a solid fit. Especially because I feel like he gives them a consistent third scoring option. Something that they really did not have last year. Especially when AD and LeBron went down. It really was just, you didn't know who was going to take over a game. You really didn't know who you could trust. It was just like, go out there and just try to do your best. Because they didn't have that other option. And I think that if they were to bring in a DeMar DeRozan, I think that that would provide them that option, some veteran leadership, as well as a player who is hungry, who we all know wants to win a championship, especially watching the team he had given his all to win a championship right after they traded him. So I think that going to a championship team, I think will kind of boost DeMar's morale, as well as gives the Lakers a really nice third option on the team. But talking about a team who has not had championship aspirations since 
Braun Braun left the Cleveland Cavaliers, who are reportedly seriously looking to trade up to the first overall pick to select Cade Cunningham. Um, right now, the Pistons have the first overall pick and have also been eyeing Cunningham. But more than likely, Cleveland, for them to move up from the third overall pick, they'd have to give up a first and maybe even uh, one or more of their young stars, potentially a Colin Sexton, a Darius Garland, or a Isaac Okoro. So could you see the Pistons really moving back from that first overall pick? problem with the Cavs is right now he may be their best trade piece but it's like is he a player that you would really want because like you mentioned the report coming out about the Cavs players who didn't really enjoy playing with him and so if you're the Pistons why would you want that to come and muddy up your locker room potentially a locker room that is still relatively young and trying to find a direction as opposed to getting somebody with a completely clean slate I mean, what works for the Cavs is they are the third overall pick, so it's not too far off from where they could pick. But still, if I'm the Pistons, I mean, I'm a team who I want to find a star. I want to bring somebody in. So it would be one thing if a superstar – This is I know it's not going to happen, but it would be one thing if, like, Portland called. It was like, hey, we'll give you Damian Lillard for the first overall pick. You do that. I would do that in a heartbeat. But the Cavs don't have a superstar player like that. And so you pretty much would just find yourself in the same position that you've been in for several years. So I wouldn't do it either. But um, this year, a lot was made of the play-in tournament. A lot of people liked it. A lot of people did not like it. Players and fans notwithstanding. Well, Adam Silver says he expects the play-in tournament to return next season, pending agreement with the league's 30 teams and the player union. So do you think that the play-in tournament will be passed through the league, or do you think they're going to shut it down? And I honestly think it's going to pass because it created a big buzz throughout the end of the year. Like, teams that weren't normally competitive towards the end of the year, they were competitive. They were playing good basketball. They were trying to fight for that. Eighth and ninth seed, I mean, eighth and tenth seed to get to the playing tournament. I know that LeBron endorsed that he didn't like it. But this is also the man that endorsed that he liked it last year when he was being a prior when he was the number one seed in the West. But so I think that they're going to bring it back. And I mean, the reality is, is like, as far as the playoffs is going, like, some of the biggest moments have came, one of the biggest moments of the whole playoffs came in the play-in when it was LeBron versus Steph in the play-in, when it was Ja versus Steph I'm kind of torn on it just because I feel like it's one of those things that if the 
bigger players or the ones who the superstars don't really want it, I can see it not passing. I think that the play-in really just benefits those fringe playoff teams. And even though we all know that the NBA is unpredictable and a team could be great one day and then a fringe playoff team the next, I think that it's more so – I think that it's more popular for teams who don't really know if they're going to get in or not. And so that's why I wouldn't be surprised if it didn't pass just because I think that it just kind of has that frustration element. And then, like you said, you have those players like LeBron, LeBron who endorses it when he doesn't have to be involved in it. But when you're involved in it, you don't like it. And I think that the mindset of some players is going to be, I don't want to have my playoff spot up for grabs if normally I would be a playoff team. So with that being said, I I could see it going either way. But for right now, I'm going to say I don't think it passes. But I wouldn't be shocked if it ended up going. Um, final thing before we play a game of believable or buffoonery. Uh, we kind of talked about Team USA a couple weeks back, and it seems like a lot of talking has been going on with the Team USA members as well. Bradley Bill says that there will be a lot. There has been a lot of talk about players potentially teaming up in the future. So, even if you had your choice, looking at the Team USA basketball roster, which two players would you most like to see together on an NBA team? Um. Because I got mine if you want me to go. I'm going to let you go. I got to think about it. All right. I'm going to say Bradley Beal and Jason Tatum. I normally don't claim anything St. Louis. I'm not a big fan of being from there. But I love Bradley Beal, and I really like Jason Tatum. And I think that with their extended history with one another and just their play styles, I think that they would be a really cool duo to watch. And I think that I don't know where it would happen. I don't know when it would happen. But I do think that putting those two hungry guys on the team – on a team together will really be able to create some noise. And I think that with both of them still being young and feeling like they have something to prove, I think that this would be a really nice way to enhance both of their careers. Because while Jalen Brown is amazing, Brad, I mean, Jason Tatum hasn't had another scoring option alongside him since he's been in the league. It's likewise goes for John Wall. So I think that they would be a really cool combo to watch. Uh, I would say Diamond Band because Houston Nuggets is awesome. He's a good center, but he's hurt a lot. And bam, you can insert bam. He doesn't get hurt often. He's a guy that you can run the offense through. And he's one of those guys that you can run a high pick and roll with Dane. And Dane can either take advantage and hit a D3. Or he can go, he can drive and create mismatches and he can throw lives to bam. And bam also can just do um, DHOs, dribble handoffs, and open shots for Danny and CJ. I think he could be one of, he would be a perfect fit with the like a backcourt of CJ and Danny. I could see that happening. Rick, I think more than likely I doubt that the Heat would trade Bam up there. I could see if Dame really ends up getting traded, I think that Miami would be a real interesting fit to watch. Even though he said the trade rumors are coming from his mouth, but it's, that'd be an interesting team. Of the teams he could join, I think that'd be really interesting to watch the dynamic of him, Jimmy Butler, and Bam Adebayo. All right, let's play Believable or Buffoonery, starting with the Western Conference representatives in the NBA Finals. The Phoenix Suns, where Devin Booker called CP3 the greatest leader to play this game. Believable or Buffoonery? Because truthfully, I find it believable. 
to re-sign Mike Conley. So believable before me, the Jazz are smart to prioritize bringing back Mike Conley. I mentioned earlier when talking about Spencer Dinwiddie, but so many teams are kind of trying to find a point guard. Point guard seems to be one of those positions where either you have one or you're searching for one. And I think that with Mike Conley, he's a good enough point guard to still be a starter and be quality, be a quality player when healthy. Not to mention, like you said, I mean, he's a great locker room guy, one of the best character guys in the league, and nobody can really feel bad about having a cat like that in their locker room. All right, let's talk about the Atlanta Hawks, who made to the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, interim head coach Nate McMillan is looking like he's going to be the, the head coach of the future, recently signed a contract extension with them. And even the players are also excited of what's to come. Nate McMillan said, what we accomplished this season is just the beginning of what we can achieve. So, believable or buffoonery, we will see the Atlanta Hawks in the Eastern Conference Finals or further within the next three seasons. Mm-hmm. I think this is buffoonery. I think that they call a lot of the teams that are actually better than them, they call them in like an injury played year. And we, I know that injuries do play a part in a lot of championship runs. But I think that if I think that if Joel and B wasn't hurt, we would see we would have saw them beat Atlanta. And I think that if I just don't see it. Yeah, I'm calling before on that too. I think that a healthier once the East gets healthier, I think that it's going to be a much tougher hill to climb. Um, like you said, I think that I won't even necessarily say an unhealthy Joel Embiid because even though he wasn't 100, percent he was still balling out. We, I think it's clear that he was not the biggest problem on the 76ers in that series. The Knicks, I mean, they just flat out outplayed the Knicks. But I do think that as other teams get stronger over the next few years, I don't really see the Hawks being able to be back. I mean, it's great for this year because it's just so many new teams to be in the threshold for the potential to get an NBA championship. But over the next few years, especially with free agency and who knows what else takes place, I don't see it happening. But speaking of the 76ers, uh, per sources, the Sixers had preliminary talks on a deal that was sent Ben Simmons to the Kings for De'Aaron Fox. The Kings had initially sent the trade around Buddy Heald, unclear if they'd be willing to trade Fox or not, but the Sixers are appealed by the idea of a Fox NB duo. So, believable or buffoonery, the 76ers will be better with De'Aaron Fox than Ben Simmons. I think it's Because he's afraid to go to the free throw line. He's a guy who's going to look to 
the school, he's got it on him. He's also capable of saving up other players. So I definitely see that pairing being a very, a very um, interesting pairing. And also, like, I'm a guy that's a De'Aaron Fox fan. I feel like he gets stuck on a lot simply because he plays for Sacramento. So I think that he would be a guy that once he gets to be in a more major market in the NBA, he'll get a lot of recognition for the talent that he does have. Yeah, I would agree with that. I'm calling um, believable, too, if not for any other reason. But we kind of talked about it when we discussed the potential of Colin Sexton joining the 76ers. But he's more aggressive. He's not the best shooter in the league, but he will take those chances. He will do his best to do his part to help his team win a game. And Ben Simmons, you don't see that offensive aggression, which is frustrating for a team like Philadelphia, who has the potential. You have a potential MVP caliber player. And you're not getting what you want. And yes, 76ers fans are OC, they're a bit they're a bit out there, but I mean their frustration with Ben Simmons is warranted. And I think that you wouldn't have those same problems with the De'Aaron Fox. But speaking of Ben Simmons, the Cleveland Cavaliers are also pretty interested in him too, and is considered to be a game changer by the Cavs organization. Uh, one of the members of the organization said, who do the Cavs have that compares to Ben Simmons? I'll tell you, no one. The Cavs are a terrible defensive team. This guy defends, rebounds, and passes. He can be a game changer for the Cavs. So believable or buffoonery, Ben Simmons could bring the Cavs from obscurity. I'm saying buffoonery. Nah, he could be a good piece to help, but just him, no. Absolutely not, especially with the shape of their roster. Speaking of the shape of their roster, it's looking like Kevin Love is going to be bought out from the Cavs after years of being unable to trade him. And it is believed that the Miami Heat would be very interested in signing him per Evan Massey. They love the idea of a Kevin Love and Bam Adebayo front court pairing. So, believable or buffoonery, Kevin Love will be a great fit in Miami. I think it would. He'll be. I don't think he'll go to Miami. He wouldn't be asked to be the best player there. He would be asked to be a complimentary piece, the guy that can just spot up and shoot threes and rebound the ball. Yeah, I'm calling believable on that as well, especially because if he is bought out, that means you get him at a much cheaper price tag. You get another veteran who it seems that the Heat are really prioritizing in terms of building up their team. So yeah, I call believable on that. All right, so final piece. We got to talk Kyle Kuzma, who has been an enigma since being drafted by the Lakers what feels like forever ago. And he talked about his role and his ability, and he said this, I can def- I definitely can be an all-star. I don't really care what anybody thinks or says. I know myself, and I know my ability. It's hard to be a consistent player in an inconsistent role. I'm excited for a more consistent space to showcase what I can do. So, believable or buffoonery, Kyle Kuzma is a all-star waiting to happen. I actually think there's some belief behind this. And the reason I say this is because he does have a point. Since he's been on the Lakers, he's been in a very consistent role. Early in his career, he was looked at as a guy that could be one of the top go-to scorers. Then, obviously, LeBron and Anthony Davis came. And he was looked at as a third option in more more or less he was looked at as a catch and shoot guy. I think that if Kyle Kuzma were to go to a Eastern Conference team, let me think of a team in particular. Like let's say he were to go to 
the Chicago Bulls, and you pray for more with Zach Levine and Nicola Vucevic. And if he's able to average like 20 points a game there, I can see him getting awesome. Yeah, I think that, like you said, it is some belief to it because, I mean, you can't – it's hard to really get yourself going when you don't know what your role is going to be or what your responsibilities are going to be. Now, to I would say that this season would have been his best chance to prove his worth, of course, when AD and LeBron went out, but he didn't necessarily do that. But I can understand his frustrations with it. I just think that if he gets in the right system, he'd be able to do like, for example, I think San Antonio – I think he'd be a perfect fit for what San Antonio wants to do. I think that he could not as I won't say an all-star right now, but I do think that he could become one of their most productive players. Um, like you mentioned, there are Eastern teams that he could find a fit with. I just don't think that him and the Lakers do not mesh right now. I don't think it's working, and it, it really hasn't worked for the last couple of years. So I think it's only a matter of time. But I feel like if Kyle Kuzma can find that consistent role that I think that things could really uh, turn out well for him. All right, let's talk the NBA Finals. Next game is going to be tomorrow night at my 8 o'clock, your 7 o'clock. You got Bucks winning it. I think Bucks win their first game of the series, and I think that it's because Giannis has put his foot in the behind of everybody on that team. Yeah, I think the Bucks going to get one. I think this is one of those situations where Chris Middleton is actually going to show up. Yeah, I think they win this one. Luckily, in terms of the next game, I could see them sneak out the next one too. But that's we'll see about that. But so I saw this on Instagram and I thought it was pretty interesting. So it was uh what if each team could add a player that they eliminated in each round? So for example, the Suns and on their lead up to the finals played the Lakers, the Clippers, and the uh, Nuggets. Whereas the Bucks, they defeated the Hawks, they defeated the Heat, and they defeated the Nets. So, starting off with the Bucks, right now they're down 0-2. What player from one of the teams that they face would you put on their team with hopes of them being able to come back in this series? I I battle with this a lot, so I'm gonna see who you say first. I think for me it's easy. It's Trey Young. He, throughout the course of this playoffs, when he was healthy, he showed that he was there for the moment. He showed that he was a guy that wasn't afraid to take over a game. I mean, remember he scored 48 in game one against the same Bucks team. I would, and he also provides something that I think that the Bucks are needing right now. Somebody that can consistently make shots. So I would say Trey Young. Trey Young was definitely a thought of mine, but. In the words of uh, Mr. Scottie Pippen, I want somebody who's going to go blow for blow. And so I went Kevin Durant. I think that during this playoff series, very few players, if any, really performed as well as Kevin Durant did, especially when his uh, when the other players like Kyrie Irving or James Harden went down. And I think that because of the state of this series, you want somebody who can give you that offensive spark. We know that what Giannis is. Giannis is a great man at what he does, but when it comes to things as far as mid-range or long-range shooting or perimeter shooting, that is not his game. It's just not. Whereas with Kevin Durant, I mean, he can shoot from all over the court. He has a tremendous range. I mean, does not seem really to get locked down by anybody. And in a series like this where you already have, we talk about the backcourt of a CP3 and Devin Booker who are just balling out, you got to have somebody who can provide that oomph to you offensively. 
So for me, I said KD. All right, what about the Suns? They're up 2-0. What player from the teams that they added, mind you, no players off limits, let's say everybody is healthy, would you bring in to help them maintain this lead? If you want me to go first, I got you. I'm going to let you go. I'm going to say Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis this year was riddled with nagging injuries, much like most of his years in his career. But one thing everybody knows is he is a great defensive presence. And right now, DeAndre Ayton has had a really solid playoff series, but his best plays really have come offensively. Defensively, he has been shown up by quite a few people quite a few times. And I think that with Anthony Davis, while I'm not saying that he would just hold Giannis to absolutely nothing, I think his defensive presence would really help mellow things out and really cushion the blows of what Giannis is able to do as well as create more opportunities for their other guys because they'll have to only worry about guys who are inconsistent in shooting. So I'll go AD. Uh, seems like you want that route. I am going to go with LeBron James simply because... LeBron James and Chris Paul are two best friends, and I think that he's one of those guys that if this series were to get into the clip, into a crunch time situation, you will have two of the better game managers in the history of the NBA on the same team. Like we know a lot of people that talk about LeBron as far as not being able to, you know, step up to the moment sometimes and make the big shots or take the big shots. But I think that if you add him and Chris Paul, you add two game managers, two guys that know how to control the pace, two guys that are always one or two steps ahead of the opposition as far as things on the court go. So I'll have to go with LeBron. LeBron would be a nice one. If And another reason, just championship pedigree. He's been here before. He's won it before, especially high-pressure situations. So that wouldn't be a bad one. But all right, that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please be sure to check out theexreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow Export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. Ethan, you got anything you'd like to say before we close this bad boy out? Uh, I will agree with you on Chris Paul as MVP, but I'm not gonna say four. I think that I think the Bucks are able to pull out at least two. Um, and yeah, I talked about it last week, and I kind of been lazy. I'm not gonna lie to you, but my um, each NFL's best offseason edition article will be out within the next few days. It's a work in progress, but it'll be coming up. So for my football fans or anybody just interested in reading stuff. Be sure to be on the lookout for that. Of course, I'll plug it a lot once it's finished. So, yeah, be on the lookout for that. Ethan, I think I already know what you're going to say, but who would you say is the best addition that the Titans have made this offseason? You know what? No, I'm going to make it harder. Not name Julio Jones. I would say Kayla Farley, but those other two make sense. But, all right, thank you, guys. That's fair. I think that biggest reason why I'm going for him is just if he's not my pick, but not named Julio. It's just because he feels such a major need. I mean, especially with all the losses that took place in y'all secondary. Not saying that, you know, Malcolm Butler was anything or Dore was like consistent, but I mean, he still makes up for a loss and went healthy. I think he's one of the best, if not the best, cornerback of this class. He would have definitely went a lot higher. Not to mention, I mean, just his ball playing ability. He was the best. Uh, 
he was, I guess he was considered the ball hawk of the draft. And, I mean, you need somebody on the back end to be able to pick off passes and create turnovers, especially with the offense that you guys have. The more opportunities you have the ball in your hand, the better. All right, I'm going to ask you a hard one. What about Baltimore? Who would you say is their best offseason addition? Um, I Fair choice. I'm going to save my answer for my article so y'all can read it. But thank you guys so much for listening, and I'll see you all next time.